SPS. S S P S no S P S as in Sam Pipeline sure. Sam right Short Power Line Service Short Power Line Service there we go that's even a better way to say it let's say the actual words instead of trying to say the uh, army phonetics and realizing I'm not sure that's what right. they are <laughs> all I know is We're E is for own echo this acronym. We own this acronym. Oh you do okay uh, <laughs> I'm looking at your business card here, which I obtained at the uh, Energy Expo in Gillette, Wyoming. And yes, I'm looking at Drone Kings and uh, short power line service. You guys have in construction here. You guys have a couple of things under your umbrella, huh? We do. So we, we, we started out in 1985 as short power line services. That was uh, started by Bill Short. And... Uh, as he aged, he sold it to his son, Jeff, who stayed traditionally power line. Well, Jeff started up another branch called TDS, and that stood for uh, Transmission Distribution Services, actually. And uh, they, they, they did business as a, for a while under that. There's a lot of competition under the transmission business. So that kind of faded away. Jeff sold it to Robert Short, his younger brother. And Robert decided to, uh, him and Alan Jennings decided to bring this company along and look at other venues for uh, revenue. So they, they started up Short Electric, Short Powerline Electric. So now you have boot, feet on the streets, traditional journeyman electricians and master electricians performing service and new installation in the commercial and oil industry. So they felt like there's still a, a open market to be a general contractor. So they started, they re, re uh, vitalized PDS as their general contractor name. So we do uh, building construction, cement work, um, excavation and, and just general contracting. And uh, with with this came a need we discovered for surveying for the oil companies using drone technology, and thus is what Drone Kings was uh, based on, was uh, doing uh, surveying for the oil companies for well sites and, and uh, power line observations and uh, and other things like that. So that's that's kind of what started each one. And uh, you saw us up in Gillette where we're ready to take it to the next level. And what is that next level? Is it is it the Drone Kings or is it, um, you know, some sort of integration of all four together as one big superpower transformer? Or what's what's, what's the next level? Yeah, and that's a, that's a good question. So, and, and, and with Drone King, what it is is... Uh, there's a lot of data to be collected. You know, the, the, the whole thing with, with, with the way the industry is, is, is uh, there's a, a produce and consume, and that's really the driving uh, heartbeat of the industry. Well, as that becomes stagnant, it's just cyclical, up and down, up and down, up and down. There's not a lot of variation. They realized, you know, there's a lot of data out there to be had, and this data is going to be able to make you allow you to afford intelligence decisions between that cyclical up and down industry. 
so there's a, just a plethora of data out there to be collected. And there's a lot of people coming up with data mining, different ways to get data. So what we did was the visualization data, the actual real-time data with the drone. So we're seeing that we could do uh, reclamation, pre-construction, during construction. So you have a, basically, you know the position of your material, whatever phase it's in. If you're building a pipeline, what the ground looked like first, what the ground looks like under construction, where the pipe lays within the ground, what the backfill looks like, and then once again, three to four years, what does that reclamation look like? And that's all data. And we know this data can be equivalented to dollars in the industry, right? I, I was going to say the next big gold rush is probably going to be this da- this big data, the, the layering of the data, the data together into new information. And when you bring in the information from two miles below the surface, like they've been able to do, especially in North Dakota, where they have the Laird Library, which is pretty much any rock that has been um, cracked open since the 1950s or 60s, I forget when the actual date is, there's a record of it. Every core sample from the 50s up in, up in the University of North Dakota's Rock Library, because that was a that was a policy put into place. So when you start layering in, you know, information from two miles below the earth's surface from 1950 to two miles above the earth's surface to modern day you're going to have a whole new outlook on everything do you understand what i mean by that i absolutely do and that that's that's kind of where we're looking at is that it's uh where, where's your place well there's a lot of guys you know baker hughes um with that some of the things that they have done and able to extrapolate that data that you're talking about. I've had the actual pleasure of working with Dr. Lynn Hills, who is the inventor of the AI used in that kind of data collection in the oil and gas industry. And he did that for Baker Hughes and a few of those other companies before he moved it to mining. But it's, it's uh, there's, there's players in that. But like you're saying, here's a surface play where it's been just traditionally word of mouth. The, the, the validation has been been uh, right. You've had crop visualization. You've had crop sprayers at cafes who have been the most reliable pieces of information up till now. I mean, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and and, 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 the, and the good old boy syndrome, right? Oh, uh, totally, without a doubt. So let's let's talk about that a little bit because. Um, what we're talking about here is some valuable information. There is a percentage of the population that knows big data and the layering of this big data into a monetizing field is just around the corner. It could be tomorrow or it could be in five years, but they know that when it happens, it's going to happen fast. And there's a reason these, there's a big control over it, you know, and um, North Dakota, where I'm familiar with, is one of six or seven states that is a test state for FAA regulations and, and a lot of these other things. I've seen firsthand and I've heard firsthand, at least being in one of the test states, it's a tough market entry. It's a, there's a lot of barriers to, to in, entry in the marketplace. You're in Wyoming. I, I don't know your guys' regulations there, but um, talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges and successes you're having getting into the marketplace. So with the drone king? Yeah, with the drones here. Sorry, yes. Okay. So one of the challenges is, is that it's uh, the perception is that this is a hobby, right? 
something that uh, I bought my kid one from Golden Image or from uh, Radio Shack, and he flies it around, takes pictures of the yard, the cats, chases the neighbor's dog, whatever. So this is a hobbyist. And so one of our challenges has been to take it into a professional realm, beyond hobby. Beyond this is something you could do yourself. So we've, uh, we really stress hard and heavy that all of our pilots are licensed. So we go and take the test, the, uh, the, the, the federal um, drone aviation testing, and we're certified. So when we do this, we have to plot out the air because now we're up there as professionals. It is against the law for hobbyists to be flying their airplanes around or their drones around where we're flying. That was an extreme challenge because it was just to, to get somebody to understand the validity of the industrial use of drones and drone type aerial coverage. And, and, and so, you know, everybody's thinking we're just taking pictures. This is beyond pictures. We have a uh, grass comp gas and I'm going to mess this up so bad. Chromiographic rendering. So I could take a picture of a leak on a pipe. And through the color spectrum, tell you what's leaking and how much is leaking out of a pipe using other, like, FLIR technologies attached to the drones. So our challenge is marrying our industry knowledge with the available product out there and how do we apply it to industry. And uh, we're at the leading edge of that, to be brutally honest, uh, trying to do a tank scan discovered that there's no drone out there that is intrinsically safe. There's no such thing as an intrinsically safe drone, nor is there a requiem for it. So how would I be able to fly that into a class one Div one vessel, right? Mm -hmm. The hell of a challenge. You know, one of the things that I've seen is the acceptance of new technology, you know, um, whether it's an email or having to have a website or whatever it might be drones is a new technology and that's kind of what you're talking about is some people just don't they, they don't see it as oh what do you mean you can use a computer in the office people play solitaire on that nobody actually uses it in the workplace i mean it's, it's very similar mentality it really is to to where i do i, I kind of I, I i question and i just challenge people to take a step back and say, if you really don't see the actual intrinsic and valuable properties and, and values that a drone can bring to whatever life you're living beyond a hobby, well, that's, you're not stepping back far enough. And so I, that's, that's how I, I mean, right away you can see how, how it could benefit. I mean, just even transmission lines. I mean, you don't have to have guys climbing poles anymore. I mean, they can go just to fly a drone. And so, I remember sitting in a um, council meeting in North Dakota in Bismarck, and this was not even five years ago, and they were still using crop dusters to check um, pipelines. And I thought, my goodness, we live in a world where and this is. I've been tracking drones since two thousand and seven. Um, two thousand and nine, I interviewed somebody who just got back from. Israel and they had drones the size of honeybees back in 2009. So I mean, when you say you know we're a little behind, you're being kind. <laughs> yeah. And so when I I look at the the next year, the same group of men 
that got together and said we're going to use crop dusters when they had drones at their disposal the next year, used drones and acted like they never even heard of crop dusters. <laughs> you know, being being real leaders like they are. Hey, you know, when you make a when you make a decision, you never look back. You know, type thing. Um, talk to me a little bit. Yeah, talk talk to me about that a little bit because it is. It's like when the acceptance happens, boom, it happens quick. Right, and so so this is a this is a so so I I should just say that for what we're wanting to do, we've discovered that really the niche is is not to just go and promote drones. It's a service that drone provides. So really. Drones is a vessel, it's a tool. So as an electrician, that would be like me going out and saying I'm a Klein electrician or a Phillips or a standard screwdriver kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. So we're now saying let's let's not let's not rest on this drone technology because it, uh, what you're going to find is that once you throw a price in there, with what you're really offering is a service, not the drone. And once you provide the service, immediately everybody's going to gravitate to, well, hell, I can buy a drone and do that myself for a lot less money. Not realizing, do a cursory audit on that and tell me what your overall costs are of your people involved in this, right? Hey, man, you're, you're, you're talking to a professional writer and interviewing. You're speaking my language now because anybody okay, can speak so you know and anybody it, can write and anybody can speak. Oh, yeah, totally. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Anyway, go on. <laughs> no, and, that, and that's it. So it's like, so do this tertiary audit and let's find out where the gray money is here, right? And that's what we're absorbing. So rather than get into that, that, that silly new technology arg- argument, which really kind of... Uh, uh, Stalls a lot of new technology is is uh, you know our great I can do what you can do mentality if if you keep it simple so we need to really so what we're doing here at Drone King is we're selling a service so rather than scan a uh, tank for for uh, like one of those floating ceilings for for uh, integrity breaches we also we don't only do the 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 drone but we'll put a lidar which is a, a Tremel that I, I think you saw at the show we had one there, the yellow LiDAR Tremel. I, I am familiar with LiDAR, yes. It um, it kind of reminds me of the way video games were in the 80s, but modernized where you've got basically like a Google Earth type thing, not the terrain, but where you've got, you know, right. like like the, the, the shapes, the, the geometry look of the Earth, a LiDAR type of a thing. It's not yeah. the, yeah, and... Um, yeah, that technology has been around for a little while, and that's that has been some great. I've seen outstanding upgrades in that. But anyway, go on, go on. Well, and, that, and so that's what we're looking at is the upgrades, the billion points, you know, per per per, per square uh, meter type thing. And so between the two of them, you could squeeze that information, put it in the central database, and now you have a two D, three D, one D rendering of whatever the target was you had. So, so what we're looking at is not saying we, we're flying drones, but instead we're saying you have purchased some old oil wells or some old gas plants. And one of the things that you have lost is the red lines. So I'm going to give you a perfect example with a customer conversation. You, you've lost the red lines. So what's really in those panels right after three or four ownership? 
and they don't know. So what we could do just on a controls aspect is stick a LIDAR. I could scan the inside of one of those panels. I could come back with all the electromechanical componentry and then integrating that with our uh, electrical engineering capability, we, we'll be able to give you a fairly 95 to 98% accurate set of red lines that then all we have to do is just get into your program to fill in the minutiae. Now you have a documented, data-heavy uh, piece of, uh, of, 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 of propaganda or peripheral that you could go in and service your equipment from this point on, right? And that's, so that's some of the things we're looking for the, 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 uh, the uh, uh, drone and LIDAR marrying those technologies. So we're not necessarily leading with one. We're just asking you what you want done, and then we'll pick the best tool to give you this visual data that you have asked us for. You know, so it might not be a drone. It might not be LIDAR. Sure. Um what 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 type of response are you getting with the drones? Are are you know you said it's it's hard for people to get by the hobby part of it, but once yeah. once they do it and once they understand just the sheer additional opportunities, and that's the thing that I I want people to understand here is that I believe this wholeheartedly. The data that's collected there that can be used and reused multiple times for for things. And, and it, there, there can be um, revenue centers created out of the thin blue sky once you have that stuff created. That's how I look at this stuff, honestly. Um, because no, you're, it, it you're, Go ahead. No, it is. And that's the one thing that I'm talking to the oil and gas about is that, you know, we're, wanting to, we're, we're looking at well pads. We're looking at construction. We're looking at power lines. We're looking at pipelines and stuff like that. But there's, there's these other entities that need to be satisfied. And one of them is the ETA. And what better way to validate, justify, or control what your interface interaction with the EPA is than a visualization, because really that's all they have to go by. Uh, yeah, these deer, they're, uh, you know, you're drilling, you're running these deer off, prove it to me, show it to me, right? Well, we could take a camera and show there's deer there, you know, with infrared camera, camera imaging on the wildlife as well. But you run into problem because then the government's like, we don't want you flying around and harassing wildlife. So one of the challenges is to get the government entities and the ONG entities to come to an agreement that if, if that is their technology of proving that the ONG did bad to the area, the ONG has to have the same amount of rights to validate or justify that that did not take place, right? Mm-hmm. Because the government could fly a drone all day. Right. To be honest. I mean, there's nothing we could do about it. Unless you decide to take a microwave oven and throw it upside down on your house. I guess you could take one down that way. I think there was one one county in Colorado that passed a law that you can shoot drones out of the sky if there was. Yeah, yeah, they actually did. They actually passed it because there were so many drones flying around. Um, it's like a drone hunting season, I guess. I'm not sure, but how big are the drones that you're talking about? Are they, you know, are they, they're not the size of a small airplane, are they? But they're bigger than a football. Yes, absolutely. So we have a fixed wing drone that has a, uh, 50 pound payload. Uh, well, we actually have it right now. 
And so it's, it's uh, you know, it's the size of a bit of a pickup, I'd say, for sure. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. So it's got some size to it. Right. You, you just, you know, you can get these big, big, big ones, but the line of size 20 yards is going to be an issue um, when you're in oil and gas and anywhere we have power lines and uh, cranes and drilling rigs, right? Mm-hmm. Just almost in your drone out flying without, because basically your drone's looking at a fixed target. It's not really looking at what it's about ready to run into. Yeah. That's why you have spotters on the ground. <laughs> the the other part that I, I like about drones and and I'm I apologize to the listeners out here. I'm not doing a commercial here for short power line services. I'm trying to do a commercial for the uh aviation drone industry because I've been covering it pretty good since two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. And um the part that I really enjoy about this is that it exposes so much new information that it intuitively becomes a proactive solution to so much. There, you, you, you can actually see things. I, I know in Ohio they're finding abandoned, abandoned wells, so they're being proactive on that. And I, I can see the day when all of a sudden agriculture is going to be folded into this, and who knows, in Wyoming and Next five years, you guys might figure out some new crop that can grow in the soil there because the drones will figure out there's a X amount of acres of this type of soil that does this crop and this and that and everything. Do you know what I mean by the proactive nature and the uh, just the sheer intuitiveness that this this stuff creates? Uh, 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 absolutely. Well, you know, so one area on that is that we fly around like a prairie dog counts doing, doing counts of active versus inactive uh, prairie dog holes. You're actually and talking about real life prairie dogs here. Right. The the density of it. God bless, really God bless America. God bless America where that's a job where you can fly around and check prairie dogs. Oh, I love it. I love right it. On, right? <laughs> so we, we fly around and we look and if there's a spider web in front of the hole, that's not an occupied hole. And we can see that from a distance versus, you know how I many people that have to have boots on the street to see that? That's a great point. And I have absolutely no idea how that's relevant to what you're talking about, but I do see where that can be relevant in other areas. I, it, I, I Just out of curiosity, how is that relevant? Because that's... So it's relevant. You know, we, 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 we all hate vermin, right? Okay, so it has to do with the pest control and pest location and activity. But it's also it's also um, far beyond our scope. The game and fish looks at that as what is the cycle? Are we in a predator cycle or are we in a prey cycle? Right. Right. Game and fish looks at that as gold. Right. That's that's an ecosystem must. It's right. Something we've never had. So so we so we just kind of randomly arbitrarily how many elk and deer licenses and animal licenses we give out in area. Now we can actually base it on what that ecosystem is supporting at the time. Right. That's This is not, you know, this is what I've been trying to educate people on for years is the counting of herds of cattle. They do, they do that with drones where they'll fly yep. cattle over to count, no different with elk and, and herds of, of uh, deer, et cetera. And the other part was I used to give the example of a row of sunflowers or potatoes to where you'd have the you'd have the drone fly over, and then they'd be able to actually identify if an individual plant on an individual leaf 
had a potato blight disease. And then it would do it in real time as send a piece of information over to another drone. Maybe it's a four-wheel drive drone or maybe it's just another flying drone. But it goes over to that specific leaf and it just kind of does one of those perfume mists of pesticides or whatever spray they have to take care of that potato blight, which is going to decrease the amount of pesticides and, and, and uh, fungicides and everything by about 99%. And the other part is that it's going to create, you know, this need for just finding out different diseases like that. Do you know that that's how precise agriculture is becoming? And your story of the uh, of the uh, uh, spider web, it's the same thing. That's that's the same to me. That's the same amount of precision that we're bringing into other fields. That spider web is relevant for the game and fish people, just like the potato blight is relevant to farmers. Now, 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 we're going to change industry with the same thought process, okay? So now I have a refinery, and I have all this process instrumentation out there that is all addressable. Are you familiar if I get into automation control by addressable? I am. Okay, so I know where everything is based on its ad- I buy its address, right? Whether I'm Ethernet to it or I'm going through a PLC. Everything has an address, so I know everything's positioned. Where it's located at this facility. So now if I have a gas leak, you have a drone in a mailbox with a interrogation of gas section, thermography, color spectrum. And you could actually put LEL meters on these things if you want so they could sniff. So now you have a gas leak. You see a pressure variance within a process. So you can pretty much know where that is in the process. But you have like, insulation on there, heat tape, and so it can traverse up and down through that. So now you deploy this drone out of its mailbox. It sees an emergency. The PLC goes into a subroutine saying, I am detecting a, a heavy variation in my loop here. So the pressure's dropped immensely or pressure's gained immensely or one of the other meters is picking up an LEL gap. So this comes out, deploys out of its mailbox slot, this drone does, and goes and does an interrogation of the area so it really pinpoints where that is. So you have now rapid deployment to fix this area, which is kind of unheard of in the refineries, rapid deployment. The word rapid is almost unheard of in refinery anymore. But it's rapidly deploy these things. And so having that conversation, it led to, uh, here's a crazy thing, out of all this, this led to a conversation of how do we, if somebody goes overboard on a carnival ship, how would drones be utilized in that kind of instance? And it's, it's amazing. There's no end to this drone technology. Remembering that a drone is a programmable piece of apparatus, just like a PLC is. And so you can have this thing do many, many functions that it's not even capable of doing yet today, other than in the military because they've utilized it as a weapon. And now, rather than a weapon, we utilize it as a tool. We deploy it to go and do things, do, do drilling rig inspection, do um, gas plant, refinery inspection. Even in the mining industry, you can do shaft inspection where you just couldn't deploy imminent before, rapidly. So now they, they know what's going on. They, they get their, their material, and there's definitely... 
a uh, definitely a study on the difference between blindly troubleshooting and having a visualization and troubleshooting, right? On how fast you could repair or or deploy into the area of need repair. So we're kind of focused on that too. One of the things I wrote down from what you said earlier was, you know, start thinking of drones as a service and not a drone. Uh, and that's right. that's kind of verbatim what you said is paraphrased. But uh, well, the one thing that I used to bring up all the time about North Dakota was that they, they, they manufacture the bodies down in Wapaton, and then they construct them, and they have the uh, aviation base up in Grand Forks. where So you got right. the, bo- the body of the drone. But in, North, in Fargo... They're building the brains. That's where they build all the, the, the software and the optics and all that other stuff. And so I used to point out that these are two extremely different parts of the business. One is the actual, okay, one's the hardware, the, the, the drone itself. But the other one, the more valuable of the two in terms of the monetization part is the software side. And it, when you do software, you got to know what you're doing and you mentioned earlier a lot of times that energy companies aren't necessarily sure what to do with drones. Are you finding that's kind of an issue that you have to come to them and convince them why this service is needed? Because I see that being kind of one of your biggest challenges. It, it is that and, believe it or not, is the uh, creativity. Well, it's, it's like they don't know what to do with it. They know they need right. to, but what do we do with it? How do we utilize it? Because at the end of the day, they still got to go to their shareholders and justify it. Well, and, and once, you, once you do that, once you convince them into an area, but, but I'll take this tank that we're going to scan. Um, well, it, it, got, it got so into, and we can, and we can, and we can, that, you know, you just can't close. So it's it's a very it's a very volatile in a way because there's you know here's something they've never been introduced to now you're introducing them to them and there's a whole world that's been playing in this for a long time and so now the guys are all sudden rather than oh well we could do this we could do this we could do this so it's hard to finite them down to let's do a project okay let me just scan this for you boy did that boy did that <laughs> sum up. Did that sum up why everybody nodded their head in the last three minutes? Because you just said, and we can do this, and we can do that to the point where it just doesn't close. Because that's the <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about that's one of my biggest issues that I hear from my people is we, we don't do media anymore. We do an ecosystem of activity, meaning, we, you know, I mean, honestly, we're on, people ask us, well, you are, are you on iTunes? Yeah, and iHeartMedia and about 70 other podcast platforms because once you put it into one place, it goes to like 50 to 70 different places. I, I find our interviews on places I've never heard of, but we don't care because that's part of our business plan is to get the message out, you know? And, and so when it comes to like your business, I can see where they just keep, they talk themselves out of it because they're, it, it's it's too much. It's it, They can't wrap their mind on it when you're like, no, we need to focus. You can do all this stuff, but if you focus on one, you're going to find out how it's going to become exponential after you focus on one because everything's exponential in a in a brain session, me, brain session meeting. <laughs> it's, so. it's, it's, it's the Swiss Army knife. I mean, <laughs> you really just want to play. So just open the blade. Only worry about the blade, right? 
fork and spoon later. Right, right. Well, right. once we actually have a meal to eat, we'll get to the fork and spoon. But right now, we need the blade. Yeah. We need to get our food. Not, we just saw it. We had a we had a customer with a shovel in the mining industry, a rather large shovel. These are uh, these are uh, you know we're talking like a, a ninety yard buckets, and so it's easier for us to scan that. Send it over to a 3D printer, and now you're holding this in your hand. It's a lot easier to look at it, and where would your mods be, right, to scale it, to play with it. And so we, we talked to a customer, drone technology. Well, we can fly that because basically you can't get up and scan where it is. And so we fly it, we scan it, and then here they are again. Oh, we could, we could, we could, we could, we could, we could, and then they come back to us and go, you know what, we're just going to buy our own drone, do, drone and do it in-house. And that's one of the biggest fears about this technology, because let's be honest, that's what, unfortunately, on an up cycle of oil and gas, we tend to spend more on on uh, on product than we do services. Yeah. And then once we go downstroke, we tend to spend more money on services to make that product validate itself, right? So let's let's take a moment here. You got you got operators listening. You got potential clients listening, and um, we've got the same challenge from our standpoint. Of you know, we tell people all the time: sure, go out and do a podcast. Sure, go out and do a blog. You know, but one thing that we offer is we have radio stations and we have magazines and newspapers that pick up our stuff that separate us from the blogs and the podcasts. And just because somebody can print off a checklist doesn't mean that they're going to do it. And then I go back to, haven't you ever noticed that blogs and podcasts kind of seem to go away after six to 10 of them because they realize it's a lot of work. And unless you have a mission and a focus and a business plan, it just dwindles away. And a lot of times these companies, you know, it buys them six to eight months or whatever the case is. And that hurts companies like myself, and I would imagine in your industry, companies like yourself. So in the way that I kind of just, you know, lightly gave them a little bit of ribbing, you can go whatever direction you want, but what do you want these companies to know why they should hire you? Because you're right. They can they, they can buy a drone themselves and do what I just said, check, you know, print off a checklist off the internet. But at the end of the day, you get what you pay for. You do. And talk to me a little bit about your experiences with, with what I just shared and what, you know, your, your challenges are. Okay, and then that's good because what we, what we did is we recognized that. How are we going to differentiate ourselves? So it's your approach to business, your methodolog- methodological approach to business. But we have to do this as any business that we're doing. If we're building power line, we have professionals. What are the, what are the, the pros and cons of doing on this? So we decided that we, we have a... Uh, a, uh, a freedom right now to explore and and put in processes and procedures to make sure this is a safe, efficient, and there is an ROI. And that's the one thing about person just buying this. Well, do you have? How are you going to collect that data? And when you collect that data, what are you going to do with that data? Right? And 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 how are you going to scrub that data? Because we're talking. Uh, Videos is a lot of data, and a lot of it you're not going to utilize. So how do you scrub it? What are you looking for? 
And so, so we put all these things into place prior to us going out and doing a job. We have a drone pre-flight plan. We talk with all the uh, the uh, governing uh, bodies involved, whether it's uh, county, state, local, city, or or private, about the ordinances of flying around, doing what we're doing for them, and then we give you a professional packet of data that is scrubbed and it's groomed to go into a CAD system or a, a Setworks, whatever you're using. We we scrub that data so that you can immediately take that and put it in, whether it's to an HMI or whether it's to a reclamation software, whatever you're doing. So you can add that data in and immediately start creating productivity out of it. What we want to do is the gray money, the lost money, we want to absorb because that's part of our business plan. It's not, a, oh, we can do that too. This is our business plan. So we've set things in place to where it's not an economical loser like a lot of new technology is to end users when they purchase it. You know, and, 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 and that's like meters, specialty meters. End users purchase them before and then they found they sit on the shelf and by the time they use them, they have to recalibrate them versus getting a contractor that this is all that contractor does. So the meter's calibrated, we go in and we're experts at that and we talk about the uh, the, the, the pro, post and uh, pro uh, results, what they're gonna do for you and how, how, how we understand they correlate to your, your needs. That I think is where, because we've had the advantage of looking at this, approaching this, discussing as a company what makes sense. We have put a lot of uh, back thought into this. It's not just an impulse. As you show it to somebody and they're like, well, we'll buy this. That's an impulse. How much research did you really do? And that's really, I was going to say, one of the things, you know, that um, I keep going over my head is how difficult it is to, you know, be a change agent, and especially in the energy industry, a lot of a lot of times I hear the uh, CEOs use the word herd mentality as the energy industry's biggest weakness. That you know they they have this herd mentality towards things, and and I've seen it firsthand. I know what they're talking about, and it's it's difficult when you're trying to bring new innovation into technologies uh, into an industry like especially somebody like the energy industry who hasn't had to really do things differently for over a hundred years. I mean, they really haven't, um, you know, and right now there is a time that they do need to start doing things differently. Um, the word paradigm shift has been used multiple times in this program. And I always, I always joke, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not name dropping here. I'm, I'm actually naming names of people who have said this, you know, we've got John Gibson from one Oak, former, uh, CEO and chairman, and then we've got Harold Hamm from Continental Resources, James Volker from One Oak, Lee Tillman from Marathon Oil. These are not small companies; these are good-sized companies, and these are men that are on you know you Google their name and they're on the Forbes top whatever list. These guys have said paradigm shift, and what you're offering here with the drone service and that sort of thing—that's part of that paradigm shift, and we've we've recognized that as the communication arm that we've had to do things differently. HR departments, ask them if their job is any different now with computers and with uh, big data. My goodness. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, and just the way that they, they, they get to a well, hydraulic fracturing, horizontal drilling has changed everything. So we look at, you know, communication and the aerial side of things. And this is just one of those changes that's going on in the industry. I wanted to ask you about the core of your business, because one of the, I don't know, this was story number three or four, I think we did back in 2012 in the Bakken. Um, pipe fitters, electricians, and, um, oh, what was the other one? Welders. They are the deities and demigods of the shale play USA, man. If you're a, if, if you're an electrician or a pipe fitter or a welder, man, you got a job. Do you find that that's true? I mean, you've, you've got four different arms to your business, short power line services, but I heard the word electrician and master electrician, and that just seems like that's your guy's core. It, it is. Our, like I said, this was found on the power line side of it. Yeah. It, it's because, uh, you know, you figure a very small populated state like Wyoming, actually the, the uh, power line is a big grower because you just don't have that spaghetti all over the place, right? You just don't have the density of population that required it. We're on more transmission. Well, now we have a lot of distribution going on. So, so the electrical, and that's a really good thing, because that's what I've been. 41 years, been an electrician. And uh, this is what I tell the guys, is that just like any doctor who has to go get a four-year degree before he gets licensed, or a lawyer, so is an electrician. You're a professional. What that license is isn't giving you the right to wire something up. It's giving you the, the government has now said you have tested in the National Electrical Protection Agency to be safe. What you do in a house is not going to cause people to die in their sleep. You are a professional. So it's never going to go away. The oil and gas just increase our wage. That's really what it does. The booms, it, it allows professionals to... to catch up with the other professionals, the lawyers, the bankers, the doctors. It allows the skilled electricians or the physical or physical licensed people to catch up physically with the non-physical licensed people. So we love the oil. We love the booms. Boy, we love the oil. Absolutely. In fact, uh, it, was, it was so competitive for a while. And this is no kidding. Uh, on the east side of the state, there's no oil and gas activity at all, but that's where all the population is because that's where the universities are. That's where the ag is. Uh, North Dakota, for every buck they put into uh, the tax pot, they take back a buck eighty because they're an ag state, um, and that's where majority of the electricians were, you know, because that's where the construction, etc. The the oil boom hits, and of course, for the first year and a half, they're loving life because they're sending guys out west and they're billing whatever they okay. want to bill, and you know this and that. Well, now they're finding out that these guys are getting hired just going out to dinner. These guys are going out to dinner, and they're getting hired by somebody else because uh, they need an electrician that bad, and they're like doubling the salary. And the the electrician companies or the electrical companies back in. Uh, the east side of the state, they can't do anything about it, and they got to hire the guys back when they're done because there's such because the, the electricians are so needed and they 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 have such a valuable skill. Did you find that at all happen uh, with kind of some crazy stories with um, you know either your employees or you or the electricians in Wyoming when this kind of hundred dollar oil was happening? Yeah, 
Well, and that's what, that's exactly, exactly. That's what, um, you know, I started, I actually, in the 80s, early 80s, I was up in North Dakota, Williston, Dickinson. I was in the Belfield. Uh, we built the TR gas plant there in the, uh, or the, 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 the highlight gas plant in the TR field, the Teddy Roosevelt Park. Uh-huh. For Western Gas, my brother-in-law was actually the senior VP engineer for Western Gas back in those days. Okay, okay. So, so, so you you've experienced this this um, rock star status twice now. Absolutely. So, so here I am, this silly redneck from Wyoming. I decided, uh, unfortunately, my senior year that. I'd learned all I could, so I might as well just drop out and become an electrician, right? So I did that, dropped out, no college, anything, and, and it's everybody's like, well, how did you get to where you are in life? And it's because of these booms. It's because of the need, right, the requirement. Embrace it. Don't fight it. Always embrace new technology. And, uh, you know, in my past, I've actually, I was a senior architect North America for Schneider Electric. Um, prior to this job. So that's what that oil and gas and desire for electricians requires. Now, the problem is, I'm going to be honest with you, is that what we did is we got away on the electrical end from what, what it was originated as a master apprentice. And uh, we, we just seem to forget that we need to train our replacements. So you're seeing the skill level of an all-around electrician now being this today we have conditricians, wiretricians, electricians, automation guys. <laughs> you name it. They all got a name. And I'm hoping I thought the boom would bring us all back together to one big, big, but it did not actually separate it this time, you know, in the core product. This boom actually de 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 defined professional skilled people by capabilities. You know, there's PLC guys, mm -hmm. and then there's wire guys. There's conditricians. There's, you know, uh, automation guys. They could do process instrumentation, calibrations, and stuff. You can't marry the two anymore. Kind of crazy. But I think when you're saying, when you bring up that two boom, I think the two booms, what did it? I look at my old buddies, and we're all engineers and stuff, and I keep asking, why aren't our kids then? If they came up in the same trade. Right. Yeah. That's us. We didn't. We got. We we got spooked by the boom and the the, the crash of the booms. We need to bring that back up. I'm totally digressing on that. No, part. that's okay. Because I, I I was thinking about how funny it is because my son he's 13 now. Um, back when he was eight or nine, it was kind of during the downturn. We we did um, ads you know, advertisements within our own uh, radio shows and podcasts that, that where I just said, I'm, I'm managing my son's company. That's how long I think this shale play is going to last for. My 13-year-old or my 8-year-old son's company I'm managing right now for when he's ready to take it over, whenever he's 25 or, you know, whenever he goes out and falls on his face and decides daddy's business isn't so bad type of a thing. And, and that was just to point out that this isn't a bust this one isn't a bust. It, it might have a downturn, um, but it's not going to bust. And not like the traditional days, you know, the old the old times. Because it is. It's totally different. It's a completely different uh, play than what it was in the past. Just because of 
services like what you're bringing in with the drone kings and the core samples and uh, just seismic type of technology and innovation they've been able to bring in to check out what's below the Earth's surface. I'm looking at the time here, uh, Kevin Short, SPS Wyoming, otherwise Short Power Line Service. They've got, uh, it looks like four or five different uh, uh, arms in their company. So I kind of want to give you the last word here to, you know, we, we've kind of talked about drones. We've talked about electricians. We've talked about construction and some power lines. Uh, just, you know, t take an opportunity to kind of summarize what it is you guys do, what kind of customers you're looking for, and how you guys are aiding the uh, energy industry. So uh, go ahead here, Mr. Kevin Short. Okay, so I believe that we're, we're a full-on oil and gas provider for electrical services. We do everything from surveying the ground to building the power line to electrifying your fields to actually giving you visual data back from your reclamation, wherever that be on that site, where I believe that we separate ourselves from the other players is that every one of us are, are this is our family. This is a family business. Um, I believe we employ 10 of my relatives here. So the familiarity, we understand each other, and, uh, and it, it's crazy, but uh, I believe that with that, we have a better holistic overview of what the customers need because each one of us realizes our, we stay in our lane and we know our roles. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> 